Hey, you all. Welcome to Active and Connected Families. Today is May 1st as I'm recording this. And what that means to me is that it is almost swim team season, which is my favorite time of year, mostly for my swimming, also for my kids swimming. I just love being at the pool. I love like hanging with my friends. I love having a space that I can show up without planning and knowing that I will see people I can hang out with. My kids will see people they can hang out with. They get more freedom To me, summer and the pools are just magical. And I think swimming and swim season is on everyone's mind right now because what's coming up in sessions with me is that as we are talking about the pools, we are also talking about bathing suits and bodies for ourselves and for our kids. And it's bringing up a lot for folks, especially those kids whose bodies have gone through pretty big changes from last year to this year. And so it's really, really normal if you notice that your kids are just having a harder time when they're thinking about the upcoming pool season. So because I'm in the middle of this series on Therapy Greatest Hits, and this is a conversation that I'm having with kids and families all the time right now. I am re-releasing an old episode that Caroline and I recorded with Sarah Lewis of The Lewis Practice, and it's called Disordered Eating, The Culture is Toxic. This was the first episode of a six-part series that we did. It was insanely helpful for me to kind of dig into disordered eating and body image as a person, and as a parent, I learned so much as we recorded. In this episode today, we are going to talk about the power that we have and our kids will have when we start noticing the toxic messages that we get all of the time about food and bodies. And I'm not just talking about those bodies that we see on the cover of magazines. I'm talking about what kids are saying to each other, what we're saying to ourselves in our homes and in the media. So if you want to feel more empowered about your own food and body journey, and if you want to give your sons and daughters the opportunity to empower themselves as they walk around this world, I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Thanks so much for listening, y'all. I hope you have a great summer. Active and Connected Families is a smart, relatable conversation with me, Dr. Amanda Sovic-Johnston, child psychologist, mother of three, and entrepreneur. I've spent my career providing family therapy and supporting high achieving mothers and maybe even more hours with my girlfriends trying to figure out how we can all feel more confident in our work and our relationships. And you all, there's one thing I've noticed. We're all struggling in some of the same places and we're all looking for some down to earth advice that we can actually use. So on active and connected families, I'll share some of the insights I've learned strategies for those daily fights about laundry, some expert perspective on the bigger issues like the mental health crisis, and me chatting with my therapist friends about how we can all feel a little more active and connected in our lives. Throughout, I hope to make you laugh at least once, but I know I'll leave you with something that'll help you become a better parent and maybe even person. Thanks so much for listening. Good morning. Wow. you guys? I'm great. How are you all? Good for a Monday morning. I know guys, we are up early, early today with an important topic for you all. It is. And Caroline's going to do a lot of talking because she's (laughs) our resident expert on 
culture. Are you our resident? You're like our, you're like our pop culture expert. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know if that's what I'm our resident expert in. I feel like I should have a lot more cultural knowledge before I'm that person. But what I do know a lot about is disordered eating and how that is affected by our culture. Awesome. I think truthfully, if we all take a look in the mirror, we can all see a little disordered eating. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about how toxic our culture is to encourage and reinforce that. And you all, I think that this is so interesting for us to talk about together is because Caroline is a newly minted 30 year old. <laughs> Welcome, Caroline. I had my first age moment. Guys, I got on the Peloton right after my birthday and it says like, it always said, Caroline, 20s. And then it said, Caroline, 30s. And I was like, I don't care about being 30. But now that I'm in my 30s, I like had a moment and I was like, it's fine. It's great. I'm like, you. that means you better be winning your cohort. I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm definitely not. <laughs> I, I'm not winning 40s either. Uh, I don't have a Peloton, but I have to say that in my 50s, what I love about having to wear a mask into a store and buying booze is that I get carded. Absolutely. It is. It's actually, yeah, it's totally true. It's a compliment at this point. I know it's irritating probably, Caroline, to you, but it's really nice for me. I don't mind it. I used to always say if I make it to 30 and I'm still getting carded, then I feel like that's some kind of accomplishment and I still get carded. Well, so we have people at all ranges of ages, all decades now, right? And so we all have our different perspectives on culture and the culture that we currently live in, like what is coming to us based on what we see in the world and also what culture we grew up in. And Caroline, you in general has have really given me this idea in my head that the culture that we live in is toxic around body image and specifically eating for sure. I didn't realize that until we talked about it all the time. Well, and I think that's what's so interesting, right? Like it's so pervasive that you actually have to like take a step back and evaluate like the messaging and the way that we are talking about bodies, particularly women's bodies, the way that we talk about weight, the way that the media portrays bodies, like you really have to sort of take a second and take a step back. And it's hard too, though, because I think once you see it, once you see how toxic it is, you can't unsee it. And so there's like, there's almost like a little bit of rub. Like sometimes I wish like, oh my gosh, if I just didn't see it, like I wouldn't spend as much time thinking about how toxic it is. So what do you mean when you say the culture is toxic? Like, what does that mean to you? And what does that mean to our listeners and to teenagers across the world? Because they are the ones who are getting a lot of these messages right now. So what does it mean? The culture is toxic. So, I mean, I think like the first thing is just the way that we talk about bodies, whether that is on social media, whether that is the way that fitness companies advertise, whether that is like new weight loss products, whether that is talking about intermittent fasting. And I'm not saying that like all these things are bad necessarily, but like the way that they're presented, particularly to teenagers and young adults, 
is confusing and I think is toxic, right? Because I understand there are some people that intermittent fasting works really well for. If you are a teenager who starts intermittent fasting and let's say there's some planted seed, whether genetically or just environmentally, that you're like predisposed to disordered eating, like that can kick you into like a high gear eating disorder really quickly. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking about that piece of intermittent fasting in our culture. Yeah, we don't talk about the ugly part of this ever, actually. We we talk about diets and all these fancy apps that can help you lose weight. I get texts that I then send on to my friends as a joke, you know, lose four inches or whatever. And I'm like, who's following me? But I mean, I, I'm getting these random texts and I'm, I'm, you know, thanks very much. But if I were at all vulnerable in to that, it, or if if it were sent to me as a mistake and I was younger, then it, it could really make an impression on me that would then shape my future around food. And the problem is that the way that it's presented is that if I lose weight, I will be happier. This is my solution to feeling more happy or to feeling more confident. And like what I talk to clients about all the time is like changing the way I feel about my body is about changing the way I talk to myself, the thoughts that I'm having. It's not about changing my body. Mhm. And and I think we need to add that we are really talking about American patriarchal white usually these are the messages that that are overrun in America which is why sometimes which, which is a big issue in America but these are the messages that we're saying are toxic. So so they are pervasive all over, right? I think they're still pervasive like we don't even notice it, right? Like I think even lose four inches, that would indicate to me that I'm supposed to be like measuring inches on my body. Right. Yeah, you're right. I had not a healthy practice for most people. It's almost like the culture is saying if, if like body image and eating disorder is on a scale of one to a hundred culture is really saying one to 80 is healthy. And then 80 to a hundred would be like an eating disorder, but we've got the culture keeping us at like an 80 and they don't talk about how easy it is to go from 80 to 100 so quickly. Does that make sense? Yeah. And we're talking about like billion dollar industries. And this culture has just taken different shapes all the time. Right. I mean, I can remember my grandmother was born in the early 1900s. And she always talked about weight and body. My mother, now I won't mention her agent on here because she's actually still alive, thank goodness. But she has she was also raised with that. So then she also talked about it in our households. I mean, I think this has this culture or, or this messaging has always been out there in kind of that Western American, you know, culture or that society. And the more privilege, it seems, too, that that has even more of a message. Mm -hmm. So the idea is culture is saying we're going to be happier if we are thinner, more toned. I even think stronger has gotten in there, right? We're going to be happier if we're stronger. We're going to be happier if we're eating clean. We're going to be happier if we give our bodies a 12 hour reset where we don't put anything in our bodies to cleanse ourselves. We're going to be happier if we do a juice cleanse for 
48 hours. And all of these things can make you happier, but they also can make it a lot easier to kick off a serious disordered eating or an eating disorder. Correct? Yes. And not just happier, but you're going to find your you're going to find the right partner by doing these things. You're going to have the right job by doing these things. You're going to find, you know, all these other pieces that are connected to it. Like that, that we talk about equaling some sort of happiness. And I don't know. I mean, people gain and lose weight all the time. Uh, Just even, you know, healthy people when they're eating in a healthy way and they're exercising or taking care of their bodies, you know, you gain and lose weight a little bit here and there. I don't know that it, definitely or that it ever defines happiness in the way that people even think it might. Mm -hmm. I think gaining weight has led to a lot of unhappiness though, right? Mm -hmm. Even just the anxiety that comes. I, a lot of times, if I'm working with a client with disordered eating or an eating disorder, I tell parents like, Hey, I need you to not have a scale at home. And that is really, really hard for the parents because there's so much anxiety around like, if I am not measuring this, it's going to get out of control and I'm going to gain weight and that, and that's not okay. Right. And so like we see it at every level and I, I, I just think it makes it so hard, right? Like even talking about it now, I'm like, it's so big culturally that it's like really tough for me to like start putting it into a podcast. Because the message is, so can you give us some examples, Caroline, of let's actually start with Instagram and TikTok, because I think that these are the messages that we know right now are Mm -hmm. hitting the teenagers. All of these news reports are coming out that they actually know that disordered eating is on the rise for people who spend more time on Instagram. I don't know if I have the data or the research results exactly right. Sorry, I should have looked that up. But it's essentially, there is a relationship between time on Instagram and disordered eating. And Instagram and Facebook apparently know about this. So... Caroline, can you talk about like what people are seeing and how that's impacting people and the culture that people are getting through through these social media avenues? Yeah. So, I mean, I think if we think of social media overall, like we have to remember that there's an algorithm, right? So for me, for example, I have friends having babies and sisters having babies. And so it's like, I will buy like one baby related product. And now my entire Instagram is about like, pregnancy, birth, babies, all this stuff, right? And like, the algorithm is mishitting a little bit, because that's not really what I want to see. But I clicked on one thing, right? And now my Instagram is like flooded with this. And I think, what happens is the same thing happens with teenagers where if I start looking at like workout videos or if I click on something about dieting or if I get an ad for a weight loss app and I'm just curious, right? And I click on it, my algorithm on Instagram is going to start targeting more and more and more of those things. And it might just be like, other teenagers talking about weight loss or their bodies, but you start to like go down this rabbit hole of what you're seeing on your accounts, particularly something like 
your Instagram, like explore page or like the reels that come up. I don't, I'm not on TikTok as much. So I feel like I can't speak to it, but I assume it's like the same kind of thing. Um, and I know that the teenagers I work with are on it a lot. So suddenly what you're seeing on social media is like what you're struggling with and you're seeing it more and more and more, the more that you click on it. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of parents think, so they'll put TikTok and I'm talking like more parents, you know, closer to my age that have kids that are teens and they put TikTok on their phone or Instagram on their phone, thinking that they're following what their kids are seeing and they're not, their algorithm is completely different. So they're actually fed totally different things. So they could be looking at like pastoral views, of, you know, like gorgeous <laughs> mountain views. That's not what their kids are seeing. And I think the other thing is, you know, some of this comes from just following um, sports or professional athletes. So it's not just food and diet. And it, it doesn't mean your kid started at the top of the rabbit hole and then went down it. Your kid could have been on something vastly different, but it got there. And so Caroline, what do you usually suggest for folks when they get kind of in that algorithm loop? To reset your algorithm. And how do you do that? <laughs> um, I can look. I haven't done it recently. I think the issue with that while you're looking it up, Caroline, is that essentially what happens is that when kids see it all the time, they start thinking it's normal. Well, it's real. Yes. They start thinking that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So if you're spending... If 80% of your Instagram posts are are about health and fitness and food and like very little bodies, then what you say in your head is, this is how I'm supposed to be. You're not walking into your high school and saying, wow, look at all the ranges of bodies and skin tones and the way people are. Your point, your reflection point is what you see on Instagram. And it mar- it starts making you think that that's how you're supposed to be. Well, not only that, I mean, there's DNA involved in this. I mean, I, you know, I can remember being, I had an aunt that was, had been a model and she was tall and had blonde hair. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, as a little kid, like, that's what I'm going to look like when I grow up. And then I remember being brokenhearted when my mom, who was like five, two and had dark hair was like, yeah, no, that actually isn't our DNA. <laughs> that's not going <laughs> to, that is not coming to you. And she was right. Uh, did I'm not tall and blonde. And I think that, you know, I say that to the kids I work with too. Sometimes I'm like, look, there you can absolutely become healthy or healthier version of yourself, but to think you're going to vastly change your bone structure or, you know, some of those things, probably not. And, and so again, kind of loving who you are, loving the body you have, you know, kind of taking care of the body that you're given is what's so important. But I think the way we, you know, when we're introduced to things that look and and things on Instagram and and these other social media sites, they look so instant. So we see someone who, for example, if you're looking for a really solid muscular body, you know, it looks like they did it in a week and a half and it took years to get to that place. And kids don't, and teens and young adults don't always realize that either. And so it's, it feels defeating to them oftentimes when they can't change in a week. So here's a question I have, and I've been asking kind of everyone recently about this, but not you all, which is surprising to me. And Caroline, I think you're probably the person I should be asking, which is I've been seeing these college women go out recently and college women 
at least at, in Charlottesville, a lot of them, mm-hmm. when they're like going down rugby road, they are literally in like bikinis. I'm like, these women are wearing like, you know, these crop tops that are super in and these halter tops that are super in and then really, really short shorts. And I yeah. know there's a piece of like body positivity in here. So how do we balance this idea of body positivity when girls, and it's kind of cool. There are girls with a range of body types. I think that are wearing a lot less clothes than I could ever imagine wearing. Right. So there's the body positivity mixed with this toxic culture. So how do we explain both of those? I think we have to talk about like, why, why am I wearing this? Is it for me? Is it because this is what everyone's wearing? Is it because I really do feel really good in these clothes but like if I'm wearing these clothes does it also tap into a part of me that's like you know hey I need to be more thoughtful about what I'm eating before I go out because I'm about to have like most of my body showing yeah do I starve myself from Monday to Thursday to wear the shirt on Friday Mm -hmm. and I mean I have heard this from people more my age who have worked in college bars, y'all, they're ordering drinks called hard bodies. Really? Mm -hmm. And it's either like tequila or vodka and water. Oh, that's so sad. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, there's no carbonation, so you won't get bloated. Right. And it's like basically the lowest calorie drink you can possibly get. But the result is that students who are drinking these drinks are getting like so drunk. That's so, I, I've always wondered when I see them, cause I'm like, literally you could not pay me a million dollars to wear even in college, like what these people are wearing. And I'm like, wow, like good for them for I, like, I hope they're having fun. Like, I hope they're able to like go out and enjoy instead of like being so anxious. Cause if I was, I had to wear stuff like that out to fit in, I would have been like crumbled on the floor. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I went, to, I went to a tailgate here in town and I observed some of the young women and some of them absolutely felt confident in their clothing. You could tell because of just how they were carrying their bodies Other folks, you know, they just looked so uncomfortable and they constantly were covering themselves in the way they stood and with the covering their arms around, you know, and so they were wearing these, these tops that were very revealing. And again, I agree, like good for them if you're confident in that and that feels good to you and it makes you feel good. But there were certainly were girls that were really self-conscious in them and you could tell. And it just made me feel, I just felt bad for them. Like, cause you just want to say like, it's okay not to put that on like it or like, cause I, I think it takes a while as a woman too, to figure out you feel where, what you feel good in mm-hmm. for the longest time, you know, how you guys were in school. Like, but I remember middle school and high school looking around and thinking, okay, yeah, I want those shoes. And I want those, that shirt, that kind of shirt. And I want that kind of, and I maybe would even be lucky enough to have it eventually. And then I would not feel good in it. And then I'd be like, so disappointed because I thought I'd feel so good in it. But I think that's part of what we see in general, right? And definitely right now with the styles that are at least our local university. <laughs> <that we see. laughs> and by the way, 
these are just the people that we see, right? This is almost like the Instagram of going and, and who, if you're in high school and you're going to visit a college, you're probably mostly looking around at what some of the girls could be wearing out at night, right? But you're only seeing the girls that are going out at night. You're not getting an actual natural sample of what's happening in the world and and what people are wearing and what people are doing because you're just seeing who's going out and what they're wearing, not like who's staying in doing something different. And so I think there's this increased pressure that we're not getting a natural sample of how it is. We're only seeing the people that are out. Mm -hmm. And, And it's the same thing as Instagram. You're only seeing what's on Instagram. And so you think this is how it's supposed to be. When I go to college, this is what I'm supposed to be like. This is what I'm supposed to do. And and I think that that is just enhancing this culture. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's the same as like, I mean, I remember watching like the, the OC was a thing when I was in high school. And I'm like, guys, whenever you watch a TV show around high school kids, the actors are usually like between 20 and 25 years old. Right. Right. So like they are also going to look different than typical 16 year olds because I mean, I don't know about you guys. I was still feeling very awkward in my body at 16. Mm -hmm. Like I had grown a lot and was like tall and (laughs) now I'm very average height, but so maybe that wasn't 16. Maybe that was like 12. But anyways, right? Like, it's just not realistic for me as a 16 year old to like watch a TV show of 20 to 25 year old actors and then tell myself like, oh, this is what 16 year olds are supposed to look like. But you spend this time being like, oh, this is what 16 year olds look like. Well, it's like on Instagram, you don't know how old these kids are that look like with the kids, the people, the teens are watching on Instagram. We have no idea how they are for the most part or how they really are. But then what happens is that kids are internalizing it and then have so much anxiety and so much pressure on themselves to emulate that, right? Because when we're seeing all of this, they think that it's normal. And then you see their wheels turning and them getting so worried about anything they put in their body. They're exercising the clothes that they're wearing because they think that that's what they have to be doing because that's what culture is telling them. Right. And like, we're not doing enough education about bodies and body changes to balance it out. Right. Like I talk a lot about the idea that like the way that we talk about bodies in our culture is basically like, hey, between the ages of like 10 and 14, you're going to go through puberty and you're going to have all these body changes, right? There's like a cascade of things that happen to your body. And then we basically stop talking about bodies from that point forward. There's this like illusion that's created that like, oh, my body is going to change this one time I'm going to feel uncomfortable and awkward because there are these like really big body changes happening. And then I'm going to live in that body. And it's like, that's just not realistic, right? Like the body you have at 12 and 16 and 18 and 20 and 30 are actually all going to be like different for a variety of reasons. Like your bone density continues to increase ideally as a woman. I think it's into your early 20s. If your bone density is increasing, then your body is going to be heavier, 
right? Like it just is. I think we talk about these things like they're like they're one-offs. Like we talk about puberty, like it's a one thing. We talk about menopause, like it's a one thing. Like we we really kind of we do an, an injustice to women, especially because I think women's bodies change dramatically over a lifetime. And then, you know, you get through puberty and there's there's changes as you head into college. And I always talk about that with with young adults. I mean, I think I grew two or three inches my freshman year of college. I mean, a lot of women do or their bodies continue to change. And then you get into childbearing time and your body changes dramatically around that. I mean, we have women, you know, that aspire to have a healthy baby and continue to watch their weight all the way through pregnancy anxiously, which is sad. I mean, there are healthy ways to do that, that you'll be instructed by medical professionals, but you know, there are also women who get really anxious about that. And then they expect their bodies to go back to the 20 year old body they had after having a baby within weeks. And that's just not healthy for anyone to have that expectation or for that poor woman. And, but we do have a lot of pressure around that. Or like another example is like the freshman 15, right? Like the fact that that is like a culturally normalized term that we use and the amount of anxiety that I see around it it's like, it's, it's heartbreaking. Right. But there's this idea that like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to gain weight and it's going to be, I'm, I'm not going to be okay. Right. And like, people are going to notice and people are going to talk about it. And like, clearly we've stigmatized it basically. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, we have to work on like undoing that we have to work on like changing our narratives of like how bodies work and how, if you are gaining weight, that is okay. I mean, I think we even do that to our kids in some ways. I mean, I, I talk to kids and I talk to parents a lot about this, you know, prior to puberty, again, it's not just a pin, you know, a pinpoint time. It's a, it's a process and kids, both girls and boys will gain weight. And, um, and so sometimes uh, parents will ask me, they'll be concerned about their child getting chubby is what they say, or you know, kids even that are like eight, nine and 10 will say, you know, I'm kind of chubby now or whatever, you know, and, and then all of a sudden, four months from now, they're five inches taller, but the body's going through change. And, and I think even parents will get anxious about seeing their kids' bodies change and they'll, they'll make small comments or they'll, you know, there's, there's just little messaging that's very subtle. Um, or they'll, or they'll move their plate away or they won't give them dessert or they won't, you know, it's, they'll restrict their food. Um, and kids talk about that. Um, and then they move on, you know, then that same kid later restricts their own food or taught, you know, figures out if they gain, like when they go to college, they start restricting if they're worried about gaining that freshman 15, like you said. Um, and it's not a celebrated rite of passage. There's nothing about weight gain in our culture that celebrates that. Like never do we go, oh, congratulations, you gained 40 pounds, like ever, right? And so it, it's interesting that we're so that, that we're so one-sided in that way. So what do we do? What should we be telling parents to do specifically around this idea that the culture that kids and teens and adults are living in is essentially programmed to make us anxious and worried? What do we what do we say? I think you got to own it. I think you got to own that, that that's how it is. And I think you have to own your own stuff. I think first thing to do is to look in the mirror. 
and and see what you were raised with yourself. I think we all are different ages, and I bet we were all raised with slightly different messages, but all basically the same undertone. And I think it's okay to call yourself out a little bit. I mean, there are lots of things that I wish I could go back and and unsay as a parent to a 17-year-old girl. We I was very conscious about um my messaging around food and healthy eating and those things. I personally have the palate of like an eight-year-old. So I was very conscious of like making sure she didn't, but I think, you know, it didn't matter. I mean, it, it, it mattered. I mean, I made a big effort, but there were still outside influences that were going to impact her that I couldn't necessarily account for. So the messaging in my house had to be very clear and very strong. I think too, Part of mine is even just labeling foods that are like good for your body and not so good for your body. I think that I say that all the time. I thought that it was, um, I thought it was a way of educating my kids and kind of preventing this obesity because for my age group, I think there's this fear that our, that our kids are going to be obese because there's so much sugar around. And so I thought I was educating, but now I know that it's not good to label foods like good or bad. That's actually completely toxic, but I had to relearn that because that's what I grew up with. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it, yeah, like changing the way that we talk about it and the things that we do is going to give us as the adults, a lot of anxiety, but like what the research is showing now in terms of like how you feed young kids is you like plate their food and you would hand it to them and say like, tonight for dinner, we're having chicken, carrot, rice, and cookies. And like you put it all on the same plate at the same time. Because then all of those foods are equally like as needed, right? We haven't said anything's bad. We haven't put anything on a pedestal. But like, we're just saying, here's your dinner. Oh, I guess I got to do that. (laughs) I had no idea. Thank you, Caroline. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's still really hard. Right. And I think what we also want to, especially with younger kids, what we want to teach them is like, hey, if I'm not listening to my body and I eat really quickly, whether it, whatever the food is, right, like my stomach might hurt. Right. Like, ooh, I ate too much. Like, I don't feel good. Right. And teaching kids, like, oh, how do I listen to my body as opposed to like, constantly as the parent feeling like I have to restrict access to certain things. Like I was at a friend's house recently and it was right after Halloween and us as the adults were all like picking through candy and like eating it. (laughs) And there were kids running around and the kid, you know, one of the kids was like, what are you guys having? And we were eating sweet tarts and we were like, do you want some? And she was like, no, you know, she was like, it it wasn't exciting. Like it because she got to eat Halloween candy. And, you know, she was eating a bagel. And she was like, No, I'm good. Because she had access to it all the time, right? Yeah, it wasn't like, forbidden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a treat. It wasn't nurturing her. We had no. we had a very open pantry, but you know, and still do and had everything have always had everything in it, you know, snacks, whatever. And, um, you can always tell the kids who don't have sugar or many carbs in their house because they would live in my pantry during the play dates. I was that child. And they would almost be sneaking in there. Mm-hmm. And there was one kid that my daughter used to just give like a ton of candy to every time she left my house. <laughs> she didn't have any in her house, I guess. Um, 
And it just, you know, it, it's kind of like, again, it's teaching, it, it's just being open about food. I think the other thing, not only about food, but just the commenting about our own bodies as women, when you're mm-hmm. parenting, you know, being careful about saying, oh, I'm so fat, or oh, I want to lose 10 pounds, or, you know, I need to do this, or I need to do that. Just be aware of what you're saying in front of your kids. I think a lot of people, I think we've come a long way around that messaging and kind of coaching parents not to do those things, but I still think it's hard. And I think men do it now, right? I think it's probably mm-hmm. less women because we've all learned, but mm-hmm. I think I think that the culture is shifting so that men f- are starting to feel the same pressure that we do. So I'm willing to bet that right now, men who are probably a generation behind are doing those things that our parents were doing. That's just my gut. I don't know. Because I think that I do know that the culture is becoming more pervasive for men across the board. More men have eating disorders than ever. And so I think it's tapping into that. And and we need to be thoughtful about that. But y'all, we're going to go into an intuitive eating kind of how do we teach healthy eating to kids? Not even healthy. I shouldn't say that. Caroline, how should I say that? I mean, intuitive, right? Like okay. that's the right word. <laughs> there you go. We're going to do that. But as far as the, we're going to do that in a future podcast, but as far as what should we be saying to our children, our teenagers and our kids about the culture in particular? I think it's okay to make the household accountable. I think it's, it's a good family effort to talk about accountability in a way that's, that's healthy and kind of loving and, and, so if someone says something that's not okay about their own body, kind of calling them out in a nice way, not in a you know shaming way, but reinforcing kind of positive acceptance about bodies and just talking about and and food too. I mean, I'm a terrible cook. Let me just add that. So I and I don't really like to cook, so I'm not very creative with my cooking. And so there's a lot of family jokes around my food or my preparation of food in my house. But never is it about it being bad or, you know, or like we don't even have a junk food. Like we don't talk about junk food at the house because that's a label. You need like if you need a first step, I would say start talking about like listening to your body and creating balance. Right. Like thinking about, oh, our meals have different kind of food groups in them. Right. Like you know, there's a balance. If I'm just eating vegetables, that's not balanced. If I'm just eating Oreos, that's not balanced. But just like, how do I start talking about it as like balanced or having like a colorful plate or right? Like, I think we can like slow it down too and just start talking about smaller changes. I don't know if that makes sense. But I also think that piece of balance is really important when we start talking about Instagram feeds and what people are noticing. Because I Mm -hmm. think that when we are talking about the culture is toxic, we need our kids to realize that we're only getting a singular message that a certain sort of hard body or very skinny body, maybe maybe with a, a butt and boobs, is is allowable too, right? But only a certain type of body is acceptable and and we need to have a balanced representation of what bodies look like because bodies do look so many beautiful ways and and we're not living in a healthy world if we're only seeing one body as this upheld beauty. And having that conversation. Yeah. 
I think as a parent, you could also experiment, or like as an adult, you could experiment with following like a hashtag, like health at every size um, or something like that. And seeing if you see different messaging around food and bodies, if you're following something like that. And I think sharing the research on Instagram and, and Facebook and what it is doing to kids' mental health and just talking to your kid about it. Like, hey, this came out. Have you read this? What are your thoughts? You know, what do you see on your Instagram feed? Not with your own kind of pressured anxiety about, about it, but with curiosity, right? What are mm-hmm. you seeing? What do you feel like is upheld? Is, is that really how you want to live your life? What is that doing to the people around you when this is what they're striving for all the time? I also think it's really okay to let your kid be an expert in some of this this stuff too. And when we talk about this and when you kind of make the family accountability piece, just kind of saying, Hey, you know, like I've just really noticed this and it really bothers me. Like, what do you think about it? And, and how would you handle this? And what would you tell a friend who you thought was struggling with, with some of this stuff, or how do you think we could help our family have a, you know, a better, better approach to our bodies and our, you know, the way we eat and the way we share food and that kind of thing. And I think those things are, are helpful to, you know, include the team, not shame or not sound like you're lecturing. Cause that's the last thing that they want to engage with you on is for you to sound knowledgeable about their body. And I think, and in a weird way, the teens really are experts on the current culture, right? They're experts on their culture. We're experts on our culture. And so they are the experts and letting them and letting them know that and fill you in and you can you can lead them. Okay, y'all. So this is the first of many episodes we're going to be doing on on disordered eating and eating disorders and, and what we're seeing. This is just kind of step one. So stay tuned if you're interested in hearing more about this. Anything else, you all? Be kind to yourselves after this episode. Exactly. I think there's room for improvement and don't expect it to be immediate. This is like a general movement to a better place with for indiv- individuals and for families about this. So we're going to cover it over a couple different episodes to make sure that we hit all the high points and... Um, and like Caroline said, be kind to yourself. This is, this is hard. This is the way we've all been raised. And so we're really trying to make big changes. Thanks you all. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. If you found this podcast helpful, go ahead and subscribe and share. And more importantly, if you think you or someone you love would benefit from collaborative therapy, psychological assessment, or psychiatry services, you can find out more about our practice at Active and Connected Family Therapy, www.activeconnected.com. Again, that's www.activeconnected.com. Thanks so much for listening.